uh, there was this real burning desire to create my own thing from scratch and then go out and, and, and try it. Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom, a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. So today's guest is Dwight Heckelman. So let me tell you a bit about Dwight. He's got a really cool story and he's doing something really interesting right now. I think you're all going to be fascinated to learn about. So after about a decade in the music industry, Uh, working for major and independent record labels, recording studios, uh, music producers, I'm sorry, music publishers and music uh, uh, industry trade publications, Uh, Dwight left the corporate world for academia, where in 2005, he chaired uh, and designed the music industry program at Hawking College. And then from 2008, 2009, Dwight served as the career development and job recruitment coordinator at the Berkeley College of Music, which, by the way, is in my backyard in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, Since 2010, uh, Dwight has performed as the founder and director of Groove U, which is a revolutionary two-year music industry entrepreneurship career program located in Dublin, Ohio, a really cool organization. He orchestrated all aspects of the creative campus housed in the world-renowned Circa Studios. Uh, The first graduating class was in 2014, so this is pretty new. Uh, They're doing really well. People have um, maintained 96% job placement. Um, Really, really cool organization when I heard about it. I wanted to interview Dwight. And so thanks so much for coming on the program. Andy, thank you so much for having me. Cool. So so tell us about GrooveU. Uh, and, and we're gonna we'll rewind to hear about how you know how you got into this, how you found sure. this, but but t- tell us a bit about about what it is to people who aren't necessarily in the music industry. Right. So we seek to satisfy what is, if you will, the commercial side of the music industry. A lot of people when they think about getting into music are thinking music conservatory, they're thinking, I'm going to teach music, or I'm going to formally compose, or I'm going to play for orchestra. In our case, uh, you know, most people, as you probably know, if you think about it, you don't really consume music that way. You listen to the radio, you buy vinyl, I guess. <laughs> now we're not really uh, uh, buying uh, MP3s anymore. Uh, you listen to Spotify, you hear music in commercials. So GrooveU is all about satisfying that side of the employment field. Uh, We have five or two-year program. It's pretty intensive. Uh, We do the equivalent of about 22 credit hours a term, and we go uh, year-round. So our students are here for two years solid, and uh, they can specialize in audio production, live sound, music business, uh, video. Uh, We have an interactive track and uh, a track for... Uh, the entrepreneurial independent artist as well. Cool. So, so can you give me just a snapshot of like who might go to this program? Would this be a uh, someone who just graduates high school and says, "I want to get into the music industry"? Is it someone who's 
you know, graduated high school, worked for a while, and then wants to go back? Is it someone who went to a two or four year college and now wants more training? Like, who's your typical student? It's all that. <laughs> uh, about half of our population, half to 60% does come uh, straight out of high school. We have students who treat this like grad school. So we've had uh, four year students, students who have their four year degrees uh, in different programs come here and do two years here. You know, we're full time and we're pretty intensive. So it doesn't necessarily lend itself really well to an adult learner. Although we do have a, a workshop for adult learners that we run uh, several times a year. But for the most part, it's the transfer student. Again, about 25 or 30% of our population has tried some other aspects of music typically and realized it's not for them and end up here. So it's pretty diverse. We have uh, uh, all those demographics represented at Groupview. And so what's this is also, I'm, I'm just curious about this because I, I checked out the website. I thought it was really interesting, really cool. Can you just give us a sense of what's kind of unique about it? You know, what's the pitch? What's, what's unique about it relative to other programs of its, of its type in the US? Or maybe there aren't other programs like it, just to sort of give a context for people who aren't super familiar with this particular area. Right. So I think where our unique uh, position stands for is uh, the idea that we put careers in the industry sort of front and center. It's, it's, it's sort of our sine qua non. Uh, having been at, you know, four years taught at four year institutions and two year institutions and public and private institutions, you know, it's kind of astounding to me still in this day and age that we don't really talk about careers in education. <laughs> we, we send you down this path and say, well, this is school and your career's out there somewhere. We kind of flip that uh, paradigm and dynamic on its head. And we start with the idea of we're training you for a career first. And uh, that means that, you know, we're, we look more like, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, a trade school. Apprenticeship is really heavily uh, involved in what we do, a big part of what we do. But um, yeah, so that's, that's the big part of our uh, program is a career-centered, apprenticeship-based. Uh, and, you know, music industry is also highly creative. So we seek to satisfy multiple aspects of creativity. Cool. All right. So let's let's rewind then. Where did you go to college? Uh, what and and what were you thinking your senior or if you did go to college? I actually <laughs> I was, that wasn't in your bio, was it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It wasn't in my bio. <laughs> yes, but I did attend college and graduated from college. Uh, I actually graduated from uh, Belmont University uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, as a music industry uh, student. Um, my journey was kind of circuitous in terms of getting there. Uh, when I was starting out on my journey of, you know, to senior in high school and I wanted to, uh, I knew I wanted to do music, but I didn't really know what that meant. I went to my band teacher, I asked him like, Hey, I want to do music. And he's like, great. So you can go to school and learn how to compose or go to school and learn how to play an instrument better, or you can teach music. And uh, I didn't want to do any of that. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with those careers, but that just really wasn't for me. So like any sensible young man, I joined the Navy. <laughs> and uh, four years later, uh, I did start out at, a, at a Bowling Green State University studying music composition. It took, I don't know, I'd say about a year and a half 
for that to suck all the love of music out of me. And uh, interestingly enough, Bowling Green had a really small recording studio. So I started taking some of those classes. I transferred uh, into their school of business. And then that segued nicely for me having the music tech minor in the school of business into Belmont University, which is a business program, uh, but also uh, obviously is a music business program. So you were so 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 rewind there for a sec. You were in the Navy for four years, is that right? Yes, correct. Yep. I'm yep. curious, actually, and we don't have to delve into that experience okay. so much. But w- was there anything that you learned, you know, sort of at the time, or sort of in retrospect, uh, mm-hmm. from being in the military that has, I don't know, influenced your path? Yeah, great question, and and absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I, I say all the time that you know we ask these. Eighteen-year-old uh, uh, high school students to make, you know, two hundred thousand dollar decisions about their life, and when they choose a college, when you know a couple weeks before they have to ask permission to go to the bathroom. So uh, I think, in terms of myself and my maturity and and my understanding of what I wanted to do, the Navy was incredibly valuable. Uh, it, as an entrepreneur, it taught me a lot of discipline. Later, I didn't know it at the time, but it was really. Uh, influencing my my discipline, certainly uh, also as an entrepreneur uh, later, uh, the idea of being very detail oriented, uh, which is you know in the military, uh, you make a mistake on something and somebody dies. <laughs> so uh, you know teaching me incredible attention to detail, hyper focused on detail, really helped me later on when it came time to to do my own business. That's interesting. And then after you finally did graduate from college, what did what did you do then? It sounds like you were in the corporate world for a while. Tell us a little bit about that and then about your transition to academia. Yeah. So uh, while I was in college, I like most students uh, or like most students should, I think at least in this industry, started interning for record labels and, and recording studios. Uh, once I got out of college, uh, this career in particular, career in the music industry, is really a career as an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur because you know about eighty percent of this business either works for themselves or uh, you're working for someone who works for themselves. So you got to think like an entrepreneur. Uh, when I graduated, I was working in a recording studio, and then shortly thereafter, transitioned into. Uh, running a music publishing company that had a recording studio attached to it. So I started, I cobbled together multiple things when I graduated. I was running that music publishing company, working as an audio engineer, and then writing for Music Row magazine. And uh, through several years of doing that, uh, having some success there, eventually uh, I got, uh, I sort of, as a serial entrepreneur, uh, I I got to work for someone who was really wanted to do the karaoke world, which sounds weird, but <laughs> um, we were kind of right at the time of the birth of American Idol at that time. And because I had a background in both recording and music publishing and could get the licenses for karaoke, uh, I entered that corporate world where you know I was uh, the guy in the boardroom that made the decisions about securing accounts with Walmart and Best Buy and you know, sort of sending our brand nationally. Um, and then uh, doing that for uh, a year or two uh, kind of really got me away from what I was passionate about. So I did 
leave that job and started a music industry program, uh, pitched it around to multiple uh, state and private institutions. And one college in particular, Hawking College in Nelsonville, was really intrigued by it and hired me to chair and run that program. Then I was off from there. So, so, so you said that you were losing focus on your passion mm-hmm. in, the, in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. What, can you say a bit about what that passion is? Like, what, what is it that, that you're really into? So I'm really into empowerment of uh, the artist. Uh, and, uh, you know, I always have been from uh, when I started re- early on, started working in recording studios, helping the artists bring their creative vision to life. So later when I spent just, you know, almost a decade working with songwriters uh, and artists who wanted their songs birthed into the world. When I shifted into more of the, uh, the, the supply side of that, if you will, with uh, taking that material and getting it out to the public, uh, I felt really disconnected from the things that, that I loved about music, which was helping people creatively uh, pursue their passion. And uh, it didn't take too long before I kind of realized that was the wrong path for me, even though it paid very well. So is it, is it, um, is it that the particular product and sub aspect of the industry wasn't focused on helping people develop their passion? Or was it that you weren't able to literally work one-on-one with people? I think it was, I think that's a great question. I think it was kind of both. I think that, you know, I became someone who, you know, went uh, to Bentonville and pitched our uh, Walmart on a product, you know, uh, and that was exciting and, and interesting and uh, a great thing to do. But uh, I wasn't directly involved in the creative process anymore of that product. I, I kind of worked what we would call in the industry as A&R, which is, I was my job at this company to help select the songs that artists had already released. And therefore, we would put on our karaoke discs because you have to get them out ahead of when people buy them. Uh, because by the time the single actually hits, it's too late. You couldn't make the product fast enough. So there was that cool aspect of what I'd always done, which was having a good ear for picking what would be the future single and the future hits. But at the same point in time, it was really in the weeds with all types of licensing, all types of corporate presentations. And uh, you know, every once in a while, I'd get to go to Nashville and record the songs uh, with some great musicians. But it wasn't enough to really keep me engaged on the creative level that I wanted. I think the flip side of that too is uh, I, I was starting to realize that even though I'd been sort of a part of multiple startups throughout my music industry career, including that one, uh, I didn't have enough ownership of what I felt was important inside of the business. So for me, I wanted uh, there was this real burning desire to create my own thing from scratch and then go out and, and, and try it. And does that bring us to Groove You? Yeah, a little bit later. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, like I said, I chaired a program at a two-year college for a couple years. Through the successes of that program, uh, I was able to uh, get a job at Berkeley, uh, which is, for a lot of people in academia, that would be their dream job. Um, you know, Berkeley is a very prestigious school, does some really amazing things. I was there for, well, it was while I was there, though, that I realized that there was this uh, big disconnect between what my industry was supposed to be training for, you know, what the 
what hired was supposed to be doing and what was actually happening. So, you know, I had my light bulb moment at grew at uh, Berkeley and uh, resigned <laughs> and started my own school. Wow. So, so all driven, it sounds like by trying to, it sounds like there are two threads here. And then I want to hear a bit about Groove yeah. you a little bit more about how you actually founded that. But I hear two threads. One is, um, is this passion on kind of like helping people develop really. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether, whether it's, it's their skills to be able to enter a profession or whether it's their sort of, you know, music chops. Exactly. Um, and then the other thread I hear is, is, kind of surveying the landscape and taking a sober look at like what's needed and what's being offered and seeing mm-hmm. that there's a gap. Am, yeah. I, am I right? Is, is that... Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think sort of dovetailed into that is this idea of, at least for me, uh, I have to pursue, I always have had to pursue something that's very genuine and authentic. And I, I, in that world of academia, I started to feel disingenuous in terms of what was being provided. So, you know, it kind of aided me uh, a little bit. And uh, that sort of coupled with the things that I was learning at the time fueled the, the start of GrooveView. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. I mean, I think a lot of these lessons are probably applicable to other other industries. That's why I'm kind of trying to... Absolutely. Kinda, yeah. Dr- drill down to the specifics. So GrooveView. So how do you start... Something like this, like I mean, uh, the like same I, way you the same way you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, so the, I'll back up a little bit and I'll talk about. It's all right. I'll just talk about sort of the lightning bolt moment and yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, so I um the lightning bolt moment for for Groovy actually started you know ten years before I was at Groovy when I was I was writing for Music Row magazine. I'm going to date myself here. It was the late 1990s. I was writing for Music Row and we had a conference uh, in Nashville. It's called the Music and New Technologies Conference. And we brought in these industry people at the Renaissance Hotel in downtown Nashville to talk about technology and how it was changing music. And uh, we had Hillary Rosen, who was president of the Recording Industry Association of America. We had Joe Galente, who was president of RCA Records. And uh, we're talking about this thing called MP3s hmm. and Napster <laughs> uh, and file trading. And I remember this very distinctly because I was sitting in the audience. And at this point, the ink is hardly dry on my college diploma. And I'm having this uh, sort of mini panic attack because I'm really well prepared. I realized that this in really short order is going to change everything about my industry. I'm very cognizant of this because I'm kind of young and hip and with it. I know what's going to happen. So my first reaction is like fear (laughs) because I've got a degree for an industry that isn't going to exist in probably space of five to 10 years, at least as it always has existed. I always thought it was going to exist. And my second response was actually anger, uh, because I just spent a lot of money on my college education, and you know, not once had any of my professors mentioned MP3s or file compression or trading uh, file trading technology. And so, uh, you know, don't feel bad for me. I did fine. I figured it out. I went on to, to continue to work in the industry, 
But when I finally got to Berkeley in 2008 and 2009, uh, again, we love conferences in the music industry. So Berkeley was holding one the year that I was there. It was was holding the MIA conference, which is the Music Entertainment Industry Educator Association conference. And so from all over the country, uh, educators were coming to Berkeley to talk about educating for the music industry. And I was really excited. I went from panel to panel, seminar to seminar to hear other educators. And I'm like, finally, like kids today, they're not going to have to experience what I had to experience. We know so much more now about the music industry. And for me, it was like I was sitting in a room 10 years ago. (laughs) Uh, I kept hearing things like, well, you know, the music industry is changing. Changing. It changed a decade ago. I was in the room when it changed. Isn't it our job as educators to know what the changes are, not to chase the changes? And uh, I, I left. I left that conference very, very dejected and very sort of uh, uh, turned off to to what I was supposed to be doing. And uh, I remember I went back to my office and I sat there with my head in my hands on my desk and uh, I waited about a week and then I penned my resignation letter to Berkeley and said, I'm sorry, I think I can figure out a better way. I'm going to go start my own school. Wow. <laughs> they're like, yeah, sure you are. <laughs> in, in, uh, in that, in, and so, first of all, that's bold. Uh, <laughs> or crazy, I don't know. I'll did, ask you another 10 years. <laughs> did you, how did you choose Dublin, Ohio? For right. for Groove, how did you? I don't know. Sure. Create the <laughs> idea. I mean, just like I know you did it in bits, but just give yeah. us kind of a picture for how you do that and how do you get money to do it? Yeah, yeah. So the uh, uh, Columbus, Ohio, Dublin's a, a suburb of Columbus at the time. This is actually our second campus location. We moved uh, about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, into into this building. Um, we were in Columbus downtown before this, but. It was selected because uh, Columbus, I'm from Ohio originally, but Columbus has this amazing spirit of collaboration. They even get some national attention called the Columbus Way between public-private partnerships. And it's a very young city. It's a growing city. It's a vibrant city. Uh, It it felt ready for uh, an idea like mine that was, you know, just enough outside the norm that people would be like, yeah, that's cool. We should do that. Uh, so that's why Columbus was selected. How do you do it? How do you get money for it? Well, uh, before I even had money for the, the idea of Crewview, I started with uh, what I knew, which was I knew people in the music industry. So I started calling them up and saying, hey, uh, I have a question for you. If you were going to hire someone say two years from now, what would you want them to know? You know, and I had little board meetings around that idea for about a course of a year where I just listened to what employers wanted from people they were going to hire. And at the end of that sort of year, I put together a list of sort of compiling those ideas because I kept hearing the same things over and over again. And I put that list together and I sent it back out to everybody. I said, if if a graduate of any program in the United States had these things, would you hire them? And 
And we were like, yeah, that's, that's what I want. Uh, the next step then was to see if I was missing anything. Were there schools that were doing this? Were there schools that were satisfying these things already? And I, I just was unaware of them. So I looked at the competition and I pulled down the curriculum. At the time, it was 238 programs in the country who offered uh, something in the music industry. Put it in a giant spreadsheet and uh, I started checking the boxes and nobody hit all six. And only about five schools only about 15 schools in the country hit five of the six and everybody else got four or less. So that showed me maybe I, I have merit to this idea. Then it was a matter of doing what every entrepreneur does. You build your business plan. You start talking to investors uh, and people who will come on board with what you're trying to sell and uh, talking with banks, and we secured a small business association loan uh, through our through our business plan development, and uh, then secured private investment. And that took about two years uh, of just day in and day out work because it's as you can imagine, starting a school is a pretty expensive enterprise. And uh, so that's what I did. I, I got my money, and then I got my school started, and then then the real work began because I had to convince people to sign up for it. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's a really it's a really cool story and I encourage people to you know check it out online. Let's 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 transition to some kind of lessons learned. You know sure. what about about all of this. I mean you've mm-hmm. had a really interesting career journey so far. What what misconceptions do you think college students or young professionals have when kind of trying to make their way in the workforce? I think one of the biggest misconceptions from from sort of guiding people through career development at Berkeley and from what I've observed at other schools and probably even some ignorance on my own part was this idea that you're in college now and your work starts later. And, you know, for me, uh, your work really starts the day you enter as a freshman and say, I am going to pursue this career path. And so that really changes your paradigm if you take that approach, because then you stop looking at, I don't say stop looking at studying, but you you stop treating studying as the outcome. And you start looking at other things as, as equally good outcomes, like making great relationships with your peers uh, while you're in college. Um, because they're on the same trajectory that you are. Uh, my first job in the music industry, uh, my first real, uh, my first serious job, I should say, came from my college roommate, you know, because we were both studying music industry and he was already interning and he found out about something cool and he passed it on to me. And that's how I got my first real foot in the door in a serious way. Later on, I heard about an opportunity for him and I passed it back. And, you know, last year, uh, this, this friend of mine who now runs a, a really good music publishing company in Nashville, uh, you know, had something like 140 or 150 songs recorded that hit the charts last year. And we, we all just treated each other as friends. So I think that's a big mistake that you make is that I'll think about my job and my career and starting my senior year, maybe. <laughs> You know, if you start thinking about it on day one, things change pretty quickly for your perspective. Yeah, it's interesting as you're talking, uh, I'm thinking of in, in my world, the difference between like a liberal arts education and mm-hmm. graduate school. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I exactly what you're talking about. I see people doing in graduate school, especially mm-hmm. like let's say a business program or something, and you know getting right. an MBA. And absolutely, people treat it. You know, they're more active users and actors, active consumers of their experience. You know, in college, I see it a little bit less. I see people sort of kind of dabbling, trying to discover themselves and so on, trying out different, trying to see what they can learn in a variety of different disciplines. And there, there are a lot of arguments for the benefits of that. Do you have any comments on sort of like a... Because you, you've just described a very practical, proactive educational experience, which is sort of geared towards trying to set yourself up for and prepare and find that job, which is great. Any, so any thoughts about sort of the, the liberal arts world of things mm-hmm. and any, any benefits one can get from that? I, I think there are, but I think that maybe it's a little too overemphasized. Like, let's be honest, college is expensive, right? And the idea that the first two years of college are sort of in the liberal arts world, if if you want to quantify it that way, are the same for everybody. Uh, I always, personally, that never worked very well for, or sat very well with me. I remember hearing that, like, well, just go to college and you'll figure it out when you get there because, you know, you're going to be with, some people who are going to basically be taking the same class as you are. And for me, I was like, but why? <laughs> I'm not, I don't want the same path as the, the student next to me who's going into mechanical engineering or the student to the other side of me who's pursuing nursing. I, my, my, my path should look different. So uh, the, although there's, there's value in discovery, I guess, of like, then I would never discourage anyone from pursuing other education. I do think that college is a pretty expensive place to do it. Uh, it, if, you, if you can't go in a little more focused than that, it, it's, a, it's an expensive proposition. Well, we already know this. We know that you know four-year schools only graduate 53% of their students inside of five years. And you know something like uh, 60% manage to graduate inside of six. And every every year you're there, it's just more expensive uh, for you to change majors and back up and retrace steps. So uh, there's got to be a better there's got to be a better way to. Well, I mean, we're all culpable in that as a society, uh, but there's got to be a better way to get students focused earlier and and more targeted in their educational approach. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting perspective. So we're we're nearing the end, very end of our chat. This has been so interesting, and I I feel like we could kind of like. Keep going, but uh, <laughs> but I'm gonna start to wind it down. I want to just ask you a question that that is um, just I, I ask a lot of people this, uh, especially people like you have done so many interesting things and seem to get a lot done. Um, do you have any kind of productivity tips? <laughs> like, <laughs> like any like you know what 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 productivity hacks do you have that you could sort of pass along to our listeners? So uh, I'll let you know when I figure that out. <laughs> Uh, I, I think that uh, a big thing that I've started as uh, my role has transitioned from educator to uh, young entrepreneur uh, to uh, director of a, of a bigger organization is uh, the idea of documenting uh, processes uh, becomes really, really important that you know when we do something here, 
Uh, we keep a really good record of it. It actually, we're in the process now of formalizing it into sort of little procedure guides because a year from now, something very similar will come up and we'll be like, oh yeah, that was kind of like when we did this. Now, how did we do that? <laughs> and we, we, we kind of reinvent the wheel every time instead of like, oh, and then halfway through we realize, oh wait, we did send out the emails at this point. We did contact partners at this point. We did, uh, why, why didn't we write that down and who we actually talked to and what the outcomes were and how successful it was. So uh, I've, I've become a really big fan lately of documenting processes uh, and, and compiling them. And, and I think one thing that uh, productivity can really get dangerous with is using too many tools. You know, like, oh, I've got this type of list for this and this piece of software for that. Uh, we're big fans of Trello here. Uh, we keep our sort of workflow in Trello. And, uh, and then we use those cards, uh, Trello cards that we've used to then translate those back into processes that we can repeat later. So uh, that's just sort of a productivity hack that I don't even know if it's a hack, but it's something that I've sort of fumbled through. Because uh, when, when you're young and you're starting out or when you're new and starting out, I should say, uh, you're just kind of hacking your way through the weeds and you don't really pay attention to how things shook out. Uh, but later, uh, once you can get your head above water a little bit, take some time and look at those processes and document them. Yeah, and I think that that can also work for just individual people too, like you know, college students. Absolutely. You know, trying to figure out like, you know, what was the best process for me to try to find the internship last summer? Yep. Or you know, looking for a job. Or, I mean, I think there. I think that's really cool advice for not, not only in companies, but just for people in their lives. Yeah, memory is a terrible guide. We all think we will, will remember, but we, we, none of us do. <laughs> um, awesome. So, 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 thanks so much for for coming on. This is this has been so interesting. If people want to learn more about you, about Groove You, uh, where can we send them? Yeah. So the website is Groove G R O O V E. And the letter U is in university.edu. Uh, that's probably the best jumping off point. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so feel free to hit me up uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, this URL is Dwight Heckelman, H-E-C-K-E-L-M-A-N. So yeah, love to, love to talk with other people about any of this stuff. Great. And uh, this has all been great. And, and I appreciate your taking the time. Andy, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom. If you're interested in learning more about the work that I do and helping people step outside their comfort zones and transition successfully into the professional world, please visit my website, www.andymolinsky.com. That's A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And also feel free to email me directly at Andy at andymolinsky.com with any feedback or ideas for guests for future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Brandeis University's International Business School. By teaching rigorous business, finance, and economics, connecting students to best practices and immersing them in international experiences, Brandeis International Business School prepares exceptional individuals from around the globe to become principled professionals in companies and public institutions worldwide. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.